Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Good morning. Uh, My name is Jeff Cook. I am one of the pastors here, and apparently I'm a beard mentor now, which I'm totally putting on my LinkedIn. Um, This morning, we're going to be continuing in a series called Superlatives. Like Cammie said, uh, this is a look at some figures from the Old Testament, and we have a little fun with it. But the important thing is to see how faith played itself out in the lives of these individuals. And when we started this series, we started by talking about Abraham and we identified that faith is really about covenant, right? It's covenant with God. And I'm going to use that word covenant a lot. So I just want to define what that is for us again, real quickly. A covenant is a deal, right? But it's a deal that implies relationship. It is less about what I will do or what I will get and more about who I will be with the person or group that I'm entering into a covenant with. And so that's gonna be important as this morning we take a look at Hosea. Uh, Now let's take a look at what was Hosea's superlative. Most likely to have his own reality TV show. If you know anything about Hosea's story, that will make sense to you. If not, by the time I'm done, you'll get what I'm talking about. But before I go any further, I would like to give another just heads up And FYI, that some, not all, but some of the material we're talking about in Hosea's life could be considered PG-13. Nothing inappropriate. All right, that's enough, that's enough. (laughs) But I will speak frankly to some things. And so if you've got folks, little folks with you that you don't want to have to answer questions to on the way home, we have a great kids program. I encourage you to take them over and come on back. Uh, now, I want to I kick this off this morning by trying something that I saw another preacher do, and I thought it was really great. He said they do it every week. I don't think we could get away with doing it every week here, but I'm going to try it this morning, and that is they start every single sermon with a sermon in a sentence. Now, this is a run-on sentence. Don't be emailing me about semicolons, but, but I want to try that. So here is your sermon in, this, sermon in a sentence for this morning. Our sinful nature takes things that are extraordinary and makes them ordinary. While a life of faith reflecting God's nature takes things that seem ordinary and makes them extraordinary. By demonstrating a love that is based on the value of the lover, not the worthiness of the love. That's a lot. I'm going to say that one more time. Our sinful nature takes things that are extraordinary and makes them ordinary. While a life of faith, reflecting God's nature, takes things that seem ordinary and makes them extraordinary by demonstrating a love that is based on the value of the lover, not the worthiness of the love. I could have shortened that further and simply said to you, God's love takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. It is one of the most powerful things I have ever seen. You know, when I, and, and little disclaimer, 
I can't remember if I ever told you all this story before. So if I have, sorry, I'm telling it again. Uh, my first job coming out of seminary, uh, when I had all this awesome head knowledge that I was going to go change the world of Christianity with, uh, was to work in homeless ministry. So I ran a, a mobile soup kitchen. I drove a bus into New York, parallel parked that thing by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, and spent my days serving soup and cleaning up garbage. But it was the most incredible experience because all you could see was the power of God's love being demonstrated to people. One of the first outreaches that I was in charge of, we would set up, so we'd basically set up a block party. So we're on a city block. There's like a stoplight down here. We got the bus and a bunch of red tents. And we just served soup. We had lemonade, music sometimes. And so part of my job, because some of the areas were a little dangerous, was just to keep an eye on what's happening. And so I'm, you know, kind of scanning the scene. And I see this dude coming up the sidewalk, pushing a shopping cart, pretty obviously intoxicated. And the cart is filled with, like, bottles and cans and greasy napkins and half-eaten bagels, stuff that to most would look like garbage. But for him, is probably everything he owns in the world. And he gets up to where we are, and I'm assuming he didn't want to talk to us, so he kind of goes street side of the bus so he can get around us. Now, as he's getting past the bus, he comes to the last car that's waiting in line at the stoplight, and he hits a pothole, and his cart tips over. Everything goes spilling out, and I see the guy in the car get out, and I'm thinking, man, this is going to be a shining moment for humanity. I'm going to write a blog about how awesome people are. And the guy comes around the back corner, looks at this man with disgust on his face, and checks his car to make sure it didn't get damaged. And then he gets in and he drives off. So myself and a couple of the people who were serving that day, we kind of go over and all we do is, is put the cart back up and throw the stuff back in there. And I'm like, listen, man, we got some soup, we got some lemonade, we got a place to sit. Like, why don't you come hang out? And that's literally the only thing I ever said to him. He comes over, he hangs out with the people that day and we would always instruct our volunteers like, you're not here to teach anyone anything. You're here to share a meal with people. And so that's what they did. People sat with him. They ate with him. They treated him like a human being, asked him his name. 20 minutes goes by, and he decides to leave. So he goes, and for whatever reason, he decides to go street side with his cart again. He hits the same pothole, and the thing tips. But here's the point. As soon as it tipped, he looked directly at me as if he fully expects that we are coming to help him clean it up again. Which means that this dude, who 20 minutes ago is alone in the world, now knows that there is someone who will help him pick up his mess no matter how many times he makes it. That is extraordinary. And that happened because some people, some ordinary folks, demonstrated God's love to this man. Now listen, words are important. I don't want to sound like they're not but a demonstration of God's message of love, that's impactful. That's why I'm still talking about that years later. And that is also something that sets apart the prophet we're talking about this morning, Hosea, from some other prophets. See, prophets were meant to be God's messengers. 
they spoke to God's people, the nation of Israel, and would deliver God's message, which was usually cut it out. Um, and certainly Hosea spoke to these people. But Hosea was a little different because God actually called Hosea to demonstrate his message. He, Hosea was meant to carry God's message with his life. If we see, we'll look right in Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. We read, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, so he was, the Lord said to him, go, marry a promiscuous woman, and have children with her. Some translations will say a prostitute, and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So Hosea is actually instructed to go and marry a woman. Now, it is scholars don't always agree whether she was already engaged in promiscuous activity when they got married or if it was just known that she would. But either way, he finds this woman named Gomer, and he goes and, and he marries her. And as, as predicted, she is unfaithful in the relationship. But see, remember, God also said to have some kids with her, and, and he did. They had three children, as fact, and God told them what to name the children. The first child was named Jezreel, which, understanding the context, which I won't take you through, basically means judgment is coming. The second child was named Lo-Ruhamah, which is literally translated, not loved. The third was named Lo-Ami, which is literally translated, not my people. Now, when God made a covenant with Israel, it centered entirely around not being condemned in judgment, being loved by God, letting God be their God and they be his people. So this is specifically covenantal language, trying to point out that this covenant, in this case, the covenant of marriage, is being broken as a symbol of what happened. And so, so like I said, Sure enough, she is unfaithful, right? She breaks the marriage covenant. She is unfaithful professionally. Now, this is, this is some of the harder stuff to talk about, but it's important, so we need to. There is a reason that God, in this instance, uses sex and the covenant of marriage as an illustration for what's going on because the marriage covenant is meant to reflect God and his people. The intimacy that we enjoy with our relationship with God is seen in sex when it exists inside the covenant of marriage. And so as your pastor, it would be negligent for me to not stand up here and tell you that if you are having sex and you are not married or you are having sex with someone who is not your spouse, that is not what God has for you. And, and that is not a judgment thing. Listen, I was 27 years old when I gave my heart to Jesus. I know I have had a lot of the ordinary in my life, and I now enjoy the extraordinary, and I'm telling you, if I could erase the ordinary, I would do it in a second. And I, I need you to know that, and that's what we see happening in Gomer and Hosea's marriage. Now, Hosea had to be not only heartbroken, but his pride had to be crushed in this whole thing. 
So, so when God does what God does next, it's incredibly hard to fathom. God tells him, go, find Gomer, and be restored to her. Woo her, bring her back into the covenant relationship. Not forget her. She doesn't deserve it anyway. But go find her and do whatever you have to do to bring her back. And so this man goes and pays the going rate for his wife so that he can have some time to woo her, to draw her back in, to demonstrate this love that has nothing to do with her worthiness. And and as that scene closes for us in Scripture, we see him reaffirming his marriage vows to her. It is an incredible thing, and it's meant to be a prophetic symbol of God's relationship with Israel. Because through Abraham, right, God married Israel. God entered into a covenant relationship that was about who he would be to them and who they would be to him. He then brought them to the promised land and gave them such an abundance of life. And they took that stuff and started worshiping other gods with it. They were unfaithful in that relationship. This is what we see assigned to Gomer and we see talked about with Israel. It's called the spirit of prostitution. This is a spirit of prostitution is one that exchanges what is extraordinary for what is ordinary. So so we see it in her life, right? We see it in Israel. And if we're honest, we could probably see that in our own lives pretty clearly. There are three characteristics of the spirit of prostitution that that the the story of Israel does a nice job of explaining here in this story. And so, so the first is that we exchange a relationship with God for just knowing things about him, right? So if we look at Hosea... Chapter 4, verse 6, it reads this way. Because you have rejected knowledge, yada is the Hebrew word there, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law, Hebrew word is Torah, of your God, I will also ignore your children. Think about those two words. That word yada for knowledge, that's a very special kind of knowledge. Like if you live in America and have ears, and I said to you, hey, You know that movie Endgame? Everyone in this room knows that movie. But not everyone in this room has seen that movie. The yada knowledge would be the person who's seen it. It's talking about an actual interaction and relationship. The word Torah, that refers to to Moses and the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments, that was literally the define the relationship talk between God and Israel. And so to turn their back on those things is to turn their back on a relationship with God. The second characteristic we see is is exchanging God's protection and provision for the protection and provision of the government. Now, before I read this verse, I need to give you historical context. At this time, the nation of Israel had been split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called Israel, sometimes referred to as Ephraim. Southern kingdoms called Judah, and Assyria 
is a huge military governmental power that has dominated the region. So verse 5, or sorry, chapter 5, verse 13 reads, When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help, but he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. God told them that he would protect them, that he would provide for them, but instead they're turning to a, a governmental power to try and, and be cared for. And the third characteristic uh, that we see is, is they exchange actually being God's people for empty rituals and sacrifice. These are a people who had a sacrificial system. They had a, a pretty intense religious system. And so when we read in Hosea 6.6 that God says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He's basically saying, stop going through all your religious motions and be who you're meant to be in relationship to me as my people. So, So it's pretty easy to see the parallels Right where we, see Hose- where we see Hosea and Gomer, and Gomer being unfaithful, we see Israel being unfaithful and demonstrating this spirit of prostitution. But what does the spirit of prostitution look like for us? Right? When we exchange the extraordinary for the ordinary. Well, the first, where we exchange a relationship with God for just knowing about him. It's great to learn stuff to take classes, to come on Sunday and take notes. But man, if you don't let that affect your Tuesday, what's the point? Right? We are meant to be in relationship with him. And one of the ways we do that is inviting him into our lives. Right? We, we pray. We interact with God as we go about life. This is something I think kids do way better than adults. I have, so I have a, my oldest son, Noah, is nine And when he was five, um, so, I mean, he knew a couple of things about God, but really, he just had relationship with God. And we're in a gas station in New Jersey, which is important, because in New Jersey, we have these things called gas station attendants that actually come, and they pump your gas, and it takes forever. It's the worst. But this particular gas station, Noah goes in there one day with my wife, and for whatever reason... He felt like God wanted him to know the name of the gas station attendant. And it was incredibly important to him. And so he found it out, and it was Victor. And over time, Victor and Noah developed this really crazy relationship where when we pull into that gas station, nobody else will even come to our car. Because if they do, Noah will just be like, I'm sorry, where's Victor? Right? It was the kind of relationship where my son, five-year-old boy fingers, eating chips, Cheetos, out of a bag, Noah, or Victor will come up to the car and Noah will take a big old chunk of Doritos or Cheetos or whatever it is and offer it to Victor, and Victor will eat it. Like, it was, it was a special relationship. We'll come to find out, Victor moved here from India uh, four years prior to when all this went down, and his family, his wife and his son, were still in India trying to get visas to come through. And it just so happens that his son is the exact same age as mine. And so, see, God knew 
that Victor needed to experience the kind of love that only a five-year-old boy can give. And because my son responded, because he lived in relationship with God, something extraordinary got to happen. The, the second thing for us would be we exchange God's provision and protection for what this world can provide. Listen, I'm, I'm a husband and I'm a father and every time money gets tight, my first impulse is I'm gonna go get a second job. I'm gonna work more hours, I'm gonna get a side hustle, like I'm gonna make this okay, right? Anytime someone in my family is ill, I'm gonna take all of the weight of everything so that they can heal, right? Not, I'm gonna turn to God, right? It's scary. It is scary when we rely on God's provision and protection because we don't have any control over that. But man, think about who you're releasing control to. And the third is actually being God's people, living out our role in his story, we exchange that for empty rituals and going through the motions. Well, we say it all the time. We said it this morning. It was on the screen when people came in this morning. Lake Forest's mission is loving people as they discover and live out their role in God's story. Right? That's, that's what we're meant to do is live out that role in God's story, to actually be his people. So the spirit of prostitution didn't just exist in biblical times. I mean, we, we experience that. We battle that all the time. And it's something we need to learn to reject. But, but as we read on in Hosea, we kind of see what happens between God and the nation of Israel is similar to what Hosea was meant to do with Gomer. And that is that God restores them to covenant anyway. We read in, in Hosea 11.8, it says, this is God speaking, how can I give up on you, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? Those are two cities that were decimated to the point where they were essentially erased. And then he says, my heart is changed within me. All of my compassion is aroused. This love, this desire to draw them back in is not about their worthiness. It's about the lover, not the loved. I think that Hosea 14 verses 1 through 4 encapsulates this whole thing perfectly. It reads this way. Return, to, return Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. This is a picture of repentance. Now, repentance gets treated like a dirty word sometimes. But all they're talking about here is rejecting the spirit of prostitution. And they're not doing it to affect their worthiness. They're simply doing it because it opens the door. Because in verse 4, we read, I, this is God speaking, will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. 
That is a love based on the value of the lover, not the worthiness of the loved. That is God's love. That is the love that we are meant to demonstrate. Now, we have a, a couple who come here, some ministry partners, the Paul and Kelly Walters. You may or may not know them. I got their permission to talk about them before this. And it's Paul's birthday, so say happy birthday to him if you see him. Um, but they have had a situation that I think a lot of us can really identify with. And that is that uh, due to a bunch of circumstances, they are in limbo waiting to discover if Paul's employment is going to continue where he's at, if it's going to end, or if he's going to be transferred and have to uproot their entire family to go live somewhere else. And the worst part is there is no knowledge or indication of when that decision is going to be made. And so they are literally stuck, either living in faith or not. And it would be easy, easy for them not to lean into the relationship with God, but rely on head knowledge. It would be easy for them to prefer their own and this world's provision and protection over what God has to offer, right? It would be easy for them to be so wrapped up that they're not living out their role in God's story, but that's not what they're doing. They have rejected the spirit of prostitution, and two weeks ago were very acutely living out their role in God's story on a mission trip in the Bahamas serving underprivileged kids. Now, one of Paul's jobs while he was there was working the grill, which sounds like an ordinary thing, but man, if you've ever been to the Bahamas in June, that's hot. And Paul stood there and cooked 165 hamburgers on one grill that holds 10 burgers at a time. Yes. Um, and, and he did that with joy in his heart and a smile on his face so that these kids could have a burger. And it might not sound extraordinary for these kids to have a burger, but I read a statistic that over the last 20 years, deaths in the Bahamas from food insecurity outnumber deaths from war five to one. So for these children to be able to enjoy not only the company, but a burger, that's extraordinary. That is a, a perfect example of people who rejected a spirit of prostitution and as a result, they were able to demonstrate this love that makes things that seem ordinary extraordinary. Now, I told you at the very beginning that, that I was going to give you the sermon in a sentence, and it was this. Our sinful nature takes things that are extraordinary and makes them ordinary. That's the spirit of prostitution. While a life of faith reflecting God's nature takes things that are ordinary and makes them seem extraordinary by demonstrating a love that is based on the value of the lover, not the worthiness of the loved. I, this is where that abbreviated version is perfect because I said the abbreviated version is God's love takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. I could just as easily have said God delights in taking the ordinary and making it extraordinary. What I did not tell you is that God's favorite thing, favorite ordinary thing, 
to make extraordinary is you. And the love that he demonstrated, that's Jesus. Romans 5.8 spells it out. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm, I am not going to run past this. We are going to sit on this for a minute because it is important as your pastor that I explain something to you. The story we read is not about how awful Gomer is. It's not about how awful Israel is. It's not even about how awful we are. It is about how great God's love is. And there is a real good chance that there are people in this room, maybe even who grew up in church, that don't know. There is nothing you can do that will make God love you or any less. I know this deeply. You may be thinking right now, yeah, but you don't know. Like, you don't know what I've done. I don't, but I know what I've done. I know that if worthiness had anything to say to it, God would not love me. But man, does he. And I'm not different. So please, if you don't hear anything else I say, just remember this. Our brains cannot even comprehend the depth of his love. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But even if you feel that in the pit of your soul at this moment, man, life, life makes it easy to forget. And so being a preacher who is deeply in love with alliteration, I've come up with the three Ps of rejecting the spirit of prostitution. So to start, the first P, prioritize relationship with God over knowing stuff about him. What you know can change how you think, but knowing him changes who you are. The second P, prefer his provision and protection over what this world has to offer. I know that that is scary. That can even feel irresponsible sometimes because we are giving up control. But remember who you're giving up control to. And the third P, people. Act like you believe what the Bible says. Live out your role in God's story. When you are standing in Target and you see the mother struggling with her kids and her wallet, offer to help her. When you see the coworker looking sad in the corner, go find out what's going on. When you see the hungry, feed them. Let's be God's people. So, so we want to reject a spirit of prostitution, but there's a second piece to this. We want to demonstrate a love that's based on the value of the lover, not the worthiness of the loved. This is God's love. And so this is going to sound like a low bar, but I have homework for all of you. Between now and next Sunday, seven days, I want you to do something generous and sacrificial for somebody else 
but do not let anybody find out. And, and that might sound like it's not that big a deal, but if you do it and you keep it to yourself, watch what God does to your spirit. And, and that is a little bit Church 101, so let me add a piece. Do it for someone that you consider unworthy and see what happens. So we're going we're gonna to take a moment. I'm actually going to ask, because uh, we're closing, I'm going to ask if you would stand. And we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. And then, and then we will send you out. But what we're praying about is who is that person in your life that in your human mind, in your human sight is not worthy? And how, how can you demonstrate God's love to them this week? So Father, we cannot fully comprehend the depth of your love for us. But God, we pray that you would help us to demonstrate that through your power to someone else, someone that, that our human nature can't even comprehend helping. So Lord, I pray right now over each and every one of these people that you would bring to mind that person that you want this to be. God, we love you and trust you in this, and we pray it all in your name. Amen. So as you go from here, remembering the depth and power of God's love for you, reject the spirit of prostitution and demonstrate that love to someone else. Have a great week.